0: This morning I want to carry on our series that we've been thinking about and the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I'm turning this morning to Titus and chapter 2. Titus and chapter 2. On the 23rd of March, 2018, you may remember that the area of Carcassonne in southern France was rocked by a series of terrorist Attacks. A 25 year old French Moroccan uh, began his attack shortly before 10 a.m. in the morning when he aimed fire at two occupants of a car. Hijacking the car, he then drove uh, to a nearby police barracks where he opened fire on a group of four policemen. He then moved onto a supermarket where he murdered two civilians, wounded many others, before finally taking hostages in the supermarket, including a lady whom he used as a human shield. If you remember, the police cordoned off the area and they began to try and negotiate with the terrorists to release the hostages and they successfully managed to get him to release all the hostages save the lady that he was using as a human shield. It was at that particular point that one of the police officers, a 44-year-old man, Lieutenant-Colonel, Arnaud Beltram voluntarily offered to take the place of the final female hostage. And after a three hour standoff, Beltram tried unsuccessfully to disarm the terrorist, and he was shot four times and fatally stabbed. Well, in the aftermath of that particular incident, Beltram was heralded as a hero. Some described his actions as the greatest example. Of self-sacrifice he had voluntarily hadn't he taken the place of another he had laid down his life for a complete stranger what Beltram did on that particular day on the 23rd of March 2018 was an example of substitution he took the place of another he stood in their stead The female hostage was allowed to go free. The female hostage had her life, as it were, returned to her whilst Bertram took her place and died. And while indeed that was a great example of sacrificial substitution, what I want us to think about this morning is the greatest example of substitution, the greatest sacrificial substitute, an act far deeper an act far more significant than what took place in, in France just those few years ago. And that is, of course, the substitution of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our theme this morning as we carry on in our studies the substitution of Christ. And we're turning here to this passage in Titus chapter 2. And I want to read verse 11 down to verse 14 with you if you have your Bible with you this morning. Just to put the the verse that we're thinking of in context, Paul writes, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And it's that verse 14 that I want to particularly focus our attention this morning upon, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And as we think about this Theme this morning of substitution. I want us to notice from this verse four things. I want us to look at the nature of this substitution, the objects of this substitution, thirdly the purpose of the substitution, and then lastly our response to this great substitution. Let's turn then firstly then to the nature of this substitution. Paul there says, "Who gave himself for us?" He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior. And the the key word that we're homing in here on our verse is this word for. Christ gave Himself for us. And I want to focus on that word just with you for a moment because this particular Greek word has two main meanings in the Bible. It can mean, firstly, for the benefit of somebody. You know, for example, we may do something that is for somebody else. We go to help them. We want to do something for their benefit. And if we apply that meaning here, we see that Christ's death was for the benefit of other people. It was for their advantage. It was for their help. He gave himself for us, for the benefit of other people. But the Greek word that's used here has a second meaning, which is the main meaning throughout Scripture. And it means to take someone's place. It means to do something in their stead or on their behalf. And that's the idea of substitution. You know, when we watch sport and there is a substitute, one player comes off and another player comes on instead of them. They take their place. They are the substitute. And that's how the Greek word is predominantly used in the Bible. Let me just give you one example where we see this very clearly displayed. If you go back to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 2. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 2 and verse 22. There's many places that we could turn to to see this word uh, being used. But Matthew 2, 22, we have exactly the same Greek word and it says there but when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod he was afraid to go thither and that phrase that we have there in the room is exactly the same word that we have here as translated as for in the room of in the place of instead of and so you could as it were you could take that phrase out of Matthew 2 and you could put it into Titus 2 here And you could read it that way, couldn't you? Who gave himself in the place of, in the room of, us. Paul is saying, look, Christ took our place. It was not merely for our benefit, but he actually became our substitutes. And I think there's a number of things that we can say about this substitution, about the nature of this substitution. And firstly, we could say it was a compliant substitution. It clearly says in our verse that he gave himself for us. He gifted himself. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself as our substitute. He was not coerced. He was not forced. It was not like the arm of Christ was twisted behind his back and, you know, you must become the sinner's substitute. God didn't make his son come into this world, but rather he willingly stepped forward and he willingly came. We're told, aren't we, in numerous places that the Lord Jesus Christ delighted to do his Father's will. We read that in Psalm 40. Jesus himself said, it was his, He said, my meat is to do the will of the Father who sent me and finish the work. It's a lovely expression that Christ uses there to describe the work as being his meat, as his food. The Father's will was, as it were, the thing that he loved and desired and consumed. He wanted it. In other words, he's saying, oh, I desired this this role. I wanted to be the substitute who came. He was willing and he was determined. Even when, remember, when Peter told him, you know, don't you, Christ, don't go to the cross. Don't suffer. What does he say? You know, get thee behind me, Satan. Don't put a stumbling block in my way, Peter. This is what I've come to do. I'm willing to do it. It's as if he says, no, I'm determined to be the great substitute we could also say as we as we think about the nature of this substitution that it was a complete substitution it says in our text that he gave himself for us he offered not an angel as our substitute or another man who you know had sins of his own to atone for but Christ offered up none other than himself he gave himself and as we've been considering something of these unsearchable riches over these past week this is a remarkable thing isn't it we've thought about the deity of christ we've thought about the humanity of christ we have thought about the sinlessness of christ it was this being who came as our substitutes all of himself fully god fully man the one who was holy harmless undefiled separate from sinners this is the one who says i give myself it's a remarkable thing. This is the one who came as our substitute, a real man, really God, the one who was holy. Could we have wished for a better substitute? Can you think of anyone that you would rather have had to stand in your place as a sinner, condemned? Condemned? You recall when we were, those of you who've been here, when we were considering the sacrifices and the offerings in Leviticus and we were thinking about the types and the pictures there, so often we see the picture of substitution, don't we? The offerer would come and would place their hands upon the animal, literally leaning upon the animal. They would confess their sins. And we were thinking, weren't we, that the animal took the sinner's place. The animal was seen as being identified with the sinner. But it was so insufficient, wasn't it? The Old Testament people had to realize this, that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away their sins. That's why they had to offer them year after year, day after day. You see, the the, the substitution of Christ, it was so sufficient. It was complete. It was all of himself. You now, you think about this in, in terms of just a football match, for example. You imagine the Liverpool manager, Jurgen Klopp. There he is. He's losing the game and he wants to... You know, he wants to send on a substitute who might try and win him the game and uh, you know, he's going to take off the best player on the pitch and the crowd are booing and you look over on the sideline and there's a little girl maybe a, you know, an 8 or 9 year old girl dressed in a tutu waiting to come on as a substitute you know, she's got the ballet slippers on she's got her tutu on and she's doing a few pirouettes on the sidelines can you imagine the crowd as they're watching on how, how ridiculous that scene would be And he's about to take off the best player for a nine-year-old girl who's a ballet dancer. It's just ridiculous. You just wouldn't believe it, would you? And, And she's going to be of no use. She's not going to be a sufficient substitute. If she wins the game for them, it would be a miracle. But you see, when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, how sufficient, how wonderful to have the very Son of God be the one who stands in our place. And the thing is, it wasn't just his death that was substitutionary. It was himself, it was his life, it was everything about him. And this is the, this is the wonderful truth that we see here, and I don't want to bore you again with greek terminology and so on but the word that we have here in titus 2 who gave himself for us that word gave we've used this this expression before about the air is tense it's an action that happens once and it's once for all it never needs to be repeated and this is the wonderful thing here that christ gave him as, himself as a substitute once never needed to be repeated Not like those lambs, not like those bulls, not like those goats that were offered year after year. No, Christ gave himself once because it was a complete substitution. But there's something else that we could say here about the nature of this substitution. We could say that it was a costly substitution. That French police officer in 2018 who took the place of that female hostage, he paid a great price in the end, he gave his life. He didn't know that when he was stepping forward, but Christ, when he became our substitute, paid a far greater price, a far greater cost. The apostle says here, he gave himself for us. He gave all of himself. He gave his entire life as our substitute. He gave his entire death as our substitute. He gave every part of himself. When we think about that word there, for us, it's so short, and that he gave himself, gave, just four letters long, and yet so much is packed into that. His life of suffering and woe is all packed into that. His misery and, and, his, and his atoning death is all packed into that. His, his woe, you read the Gospels, that passage that we even read, you read, the life of Christ how he was a man of sorrows and then you come to the passages concerning the crucifixion and all that he endured all the suffering the mockery the hatred and then you think about that point that we got to in our reading and he was crucified all that he had to endure is he was hanging between heaven and earth as a curse for us you see when you you see it all you can only come to the conclusion what a great cost He paid the greatest of prices. He came as that substitute to pay the ransom price for sinners. You know, even that passage that we read in Genesis 22, I think you get it there pictured at the beginning, don't you? There's God saying to Abraham, I want you to take your son. Think about that, your son, the dearest possession that you have, Abraham. And not only is it your son, it's your only son. And as if he doesn't, you know, as if that wasn't enough, he says, the one that you love, I want you to take him and I want you to go and offer him. And you see, it was a great cost. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? The son of God, the one that he loved, his only son, offer him the his beloved. And what a great cost. You see, the substitution of Christ, it was a costly substitution and so then we've seen this the the nature then of this this substitution but I want us to consider secondly the objects of this substitution just look at uh, what it says here he gave himself for us just going back to our opening illustration this morning that French police officer he took the place of that lady she was the object in view He saw that lady being used as a human shield and so he went and stood in her place. She was the beneficiary of this man's kindness. She was freed and unable to carry on living her life. So he took her place. And the question is, well then who benefits from the substitution of Christ? Who are the objects that Christ had in his mind? Who are those that he was looking upon who said, I'm going to take their place? But well, it says here it was for us remember this is the eternal son of God this is none other than the sinless perfect pure son of God and you say well who is he going to stand in the place of you know who would you want to stand in the place of if you're going to be a substitute who would you want to give your life for well Christ here he is the sinless son of God but he looks and he sees sinners and he says I'm going to stand in their place I think we would rightly presume, wouldn't we, that it would have to be in the place of someone special. Who is God going to give his son for? Well, surely it's going to be for somebody special. Surely it's going to be for someone who, who's done something kind and good and has lived a sacrificial life. It Surely it's going to be somebody who has some sort of righteous merit of their own. He's going to have to exchange glory. He's going to have to exchange heaven. He's going to have to exchange all of that to come into this world. He's not going to do it just for anybody, is he? But Paul says, no, he gave himself for us. And you say, well, who's the us here? Well, he goes on, doesn't he, and says that it's, he might redeem us from all iniquity. And so he's clearly speaking of sinners here, those who have iniquity, those who've transgressed God's law, those who've, who've broken God's law. And Paul says it was for people, sinners, who've broken God's law. They're the people that Christ came for. It refers to people like Paul He's, he says for us you think about Paul and all the rebellion in his heart before he came to Christ and all the way he wanted to persecute the very name of Christ and take Christians and, and imprison them and so on and Paul says these people like himself the chief of sinners it's these who are the objects of his glorious substitution It's not those who've earned some special ticket. It's not those who've done something noteworthy. It's not those who've lived an outwardly moral and righteous life. But his substitution was for sinners. Remember what Paul writes in Romans. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Sorry, in 1 Corinthians 15 I should say. In Romans he says, doesn't he, he suffered for sins. The just for the unjust I think we see this so strikingly illustrated with Barabbas, the passage that we read in the crucifixion. You remember that passage in Mark's gospel there? We have it in all four. Pilate was willing to ease his own conscience. He wants to release somebody. He wants to release Christ. And he thinks, I found this ticket out. Because every year we release a prisoner. And so we have Barabbas and we have Christ. And he foolishly imagined that the people would obviously choose Christ because, you know, there was nothing wrong with Christ. He was delivered up for envy. Barabbas, we read, had caused an insurrection. He was rebellious. He was a murderer, we're told. He was a thief. And yet the Lord of glory takes his place. And what a picture that is. You see, Barabbas deserved nothing but death. His death would have been just. But the Lord Jesus Christ becomes his substitute. And there we see in type, there we see in pictures what Jesus Christ has done for countless millions down through the centuries, standing in the place of sinners. And friends, let me just pause here this morning and say, is the Lord Jesus Christ your substitute? Has he become yours by faith, by trusting in him? Do you know that he's standing in your place? Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a wonderful text, isn't it? hymn writers have taken up this theme over and over again we just sung those words he took the dying traitor's place and suffered in his steads for man oh miracle of grace for man the saviour what about those other words we we didn't sing this hymn this morning but that's that hymn that begins man of sorrows one of the verses says this bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Let me just give you one more. Charles Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be. He says, died he for me, who caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Paul says here, he gave himself for us. What wonderful truth that is. The objects of his substitution were sinners like you and me this morning. But then we ask ourselves, what was the purpose? Thirdly, this morning, what was the purpose of his substitution? And Paul gives us two things here very quickly. He says that he firstly might redeem us from all iniquity. He might redeem us from all iniquity. And that word redeem there means to purchase. It means to pay a price Usually it was used in the Bible to speak of a slave being bought so that they could be set free. And Christ became the sinner's substitute so that he might pay this costly ransom that we thought of. The inference that Paul is saying here is that as sinners we were captives to iniquity. We were bound, we were fastened to our sin. In a sense we were imprisoned by Satan. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ told us, didn't he? You remember, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And literally the word he uses there, it means to be enslaved, to be in bondage to sin. Christ has redeemed us and he's ransomed us as our substitute. He has set us free from the bondage of sin. That's why he became our substitute. You think again of the example of Barabbas. There he was in that prison. He's incarcerated. There's no hope for him. That Friday he was about to be led outside Jerusalem up a hill and crucified. But a substitute came and took his place and he was freed. So it is with us as Christians. We're freed by the redemption of the Redeemer. And Peter tells us this, doesn't he, in no uncertain terms, that the great price was paid to free us, to redeem us. And it was not, he says, with corruptible things, such as silver and gold. But he says it was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says here, the first reason why, the first purpose for the substitution of Christ is so he would redeem us from all iniquity. But he gives us another reason. He gives us a second thing, because he says he would purify unto himself a peculiar people. Christ's substitution was not only so that we could be freed from sin, but Christ's substitution was also so that we might now avoid sin and be separate from sin. We weren't redeemed so that we could then just go on living our lives as we please and carry on sinning and and reveling in sin. But it's so that we might be purified from it. Paul is speaking here of sanctification, isn't he? That daily work of renewing us and cleansing us and making us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He's bit by bit removing, as it were, the impurities and and remaking us and fashioning us after his image by the Holy Spirit. When I was in America, when I lived in North America, they had these machines for rebuilding roads. They don't... uh, the way they build roads over there is very different from how we do it. So they have these massive machines, great big piece of kit, huge in length. And the front of the machine, they rip the road up. And they rip up the concrete and all the gravel and the stones and so on. And, and it all goes up into this machine. And then they take out the bits that they don't need and they crush it up. And they get rid of all the debris and so on. And then halfway along the machine, there's other things added, water and so on. And at the back of the machine, the materials that were used are then used to relay the roads. That's what happens in purification, in sanctification. The Holy Spirit comes and he takes the old man and he works and he rebuilds us and remolds us and he gets rid of the impurities and he, as it were, he's relaying a new road behind And we're sanctified and purified by Christ, and it says here, for Christ. We're unto himself a peculiar people. That word peculiar, lots of people find it peculiar, we could say, or humorous. But the word has this sense of being chosen, being set apart, special, it's like a piece of treasure. And so what Paul is saying here is that we belong to Christ, we've been purchased by Christ, we're being sanctified by Christ, and we're now his treasure. He has a peculiar love for his people, a peculiar delight in his people. Those words that we read this morning in the prayer meeting in Isaiah 62, Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem. In the hand of thy God, you think of the words in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 17, wonderful words, where he says, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. God refers to us as like a, a crown, as jewels that he treasures and that he loves And so Paul says, this is why the substitution of Christ happened, so that he might redeem us from iniquity and now he might purify us unto himself so that we might be his treasure. And so then lastly, we come to the response. How are we to respond to the substitution of Christ? If Christ has stood in our place, if he has redeemed us and he's purifying us, what should our reaction be? Well, Paul says it here at the end of the verse. He says that he has purified unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. In other words, Paul's saying this. Do you know what? There should be a burning zeal within all of us to do that which is well-pleasing to God. We should seek at all cost to serve our heavenly master with a, with a burning fervency and with a, with a passionate love. Not that so we might sort of try and earn a a favour with God and add something to our salvation. Not that we might sort of tag this on. But it should be out of genuine love and and gratitude and service to to the Lord Jesus Christ. We should seek, shouldn't we, the exaltation of our Saviour. We should seek the glory of God. We should seek the promotion of the Gospel. We should want to do good to our fellow man. We should strive for the honour of our Saviour. We're told, aren't we, in this passage that we just looked at that we're to deny ungodliness, he tells us, and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You've been, you've been purchased by Christ. He's your substitute. Now live as those who've been purchased by him. And it's not just a zealous of doing good works, but it's zealous of good works in general. In other words, it's not only that we should be active in carrying out good works in our lives, but we should be active in exhorting all people to good works. That's what Paul is saying here, zealous of good works. That's the reason, this is the response that we should have. Christ gave himself for us. And in gratitude, we should want to serve him. I had a look on the internet to see if the lady in France who was used as the human shield, if there was any reaction from her to see how she responded. But I could not find any kind of interview with her. I don't know anything about her. But I'm sure in her heart there is a great gratitude and love for the one who stood in her place. And as Christians this morning, shouldn't we have that same love and that same gratitude that we should want to serve Christ who stood for us? And we should say, shouldn't we, well, thanks be to God that Christ loved us and gave himself for us.